0: It's good. It's like, like a club. Welcome to this club, everybody. <laughs> hey, welcome to Eastlake. Welcome to Eastlake Online for those of you who are watching online. I don't know if you guys could hear that, but we had some funky dance music going on. Uh, we are so glad that you're here today. My name is Brandon, the teaching pastor. And uh, as you can tell, we've moved down. We were experimenting with a few things. So the last few weeks, I've been preaching up from the higher stage. And it just felt like there was just so much distance between you and I. It was like going to my head. I was like feeling like, oh, I'm so much better than everybody else. And I kept going to Starbucks, ordering drinks and making them bring it out to my table. and I was like going up and grabbing it. So it was affecting me too much. I had to move back down with all of you. So, um, you know, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Last week, we kicked off a brand new teaching series called Pilgrimage, uh, A Way of Being in the World, and uh, if you missed it, you can go to eastlaketricity.com slash talks and catch up, or better yet, we developed an app. You can download that and catch up on that way. If this stuff interests you, if not, then do whatever you want to do. I don't care how you spend your week, but um, the week, uh, last week's kind of kickoff was about how a visible component of many world religions contains some sort of pilgrimage back to the quote-unquote motherland or a trip to go, go home, quote-unquote home, even though they've never been there or never even lived there. Or, uh, as we mentioned, too, back in medieval times, the center of the world for, at that time, uh, Jerusalem, the map was uh, always Jerusalem was in the center, and then the known world was kind of everything else beyond that. Many stories have been written. Many movie plots have been you know made in this way. Historically, many religious icons, figures, have completed a trip like this and wrote about it. Not just, like, religious sites, too, like, for our own secular society, we've done this. We we see people who make pilgrimages to Machu Picchu or uh, places uh, like the pyramids or you know Pacific Crest Trail if you're local or whatever. And what happens is people go on these things, then they write a blog about how they prepared for that trip, what they packed, um, what they saw, and here's some advice on if you're going to go on the same thing. And we highly recommend that you do. It's always highly recommend that you do. Very rarely does somebody go to some place nice, come back, and be like, eh, not worth it. I wouldn't do it. But here's a blog about it, anyways. Everybody has an opinion on what you should do, and it's not all that uncommon for us to, in, in this period of time, like right here, like April, May, right before summer lets out and school's out and all that kind of stuff, and people go and begin to do their travels, we're doing this planning session right now, and like many of you. Like, here's where we want to go camping this year. Here's where we want to go visit, and here's the, here's the places we want to go see. And what happens is we tell somebody in the course of common conversation, uh, so this, this summer we're planning on taking the kids to blah, 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 and, and inevitably, their response is, oh, my, if they've been there, they go, oh, man, I love it there. Oh, oh, I love it there. You have to go here, right? And as soon as you say it, you have to go here. You have to shop here. You have to make sure you see this. You have to eat this. know, they have all of these opinions on, on where this is at. And, and it depends a lot of times on their personality about what they recommend. Oh, my God, you have to go hike Camelback. If you're going to, like this last um, last two weeks ago, we went down on this trip and we stopped in Boise. And so I mentioned to some people, we stopped in Boise and we loved it. It was great. Oh, my God, next time you go, you have to hike Camelback. And I'm like hike Camelback." Do I, though? I mean, like, do I really want to do that? Or whatever. Uh, or we said, um, yeah, we were doing this Boise trip. And they go, oh, my goodness, you have to go take a tour of the Capitol, right? And, and that doesn't, like, excite me. I don't know. Maybe that's just my personality. Or um, and, and so my advice to you is, is is if you came up and told me today, you know, we're thinking about taking the kids' boys this year, I would say, okay, you have to definitely go and see the Idaho Blueprint and Supply Store. We got a picture of it here. It's right over here. You're going to love this spot. We, we went there. It's like the selection was unreal. And, uh, and uh, you can skip this other one. Skip Hannah's. It's not as good as it sounds. But uh, it was, it's unique. It's fun. It's whatever. And it's not just like historical sites. Some of you will get that joke. You're going to get it in the car on the way home. You're going to be like, did you see? Did that just say Hump and Hannah's at church? <laughs> Anyways, uh, it's not historical sites and Instagram-worthy photo ops. You can tell, again, a lot about people based on their recommendations about what they say, what kind of people they are. For instance, when they say, "Oh my God, you have to eat here," but only for lunch or breakfast, not for dinner. If you want to do dinner, you gotta go here, 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 here. Uh, these are called your foodie friends, and they're by far my favorite. And it's also my dad. This is how my dad operates, right? Uh, no matter where he, he's got, and he bought a, a Harley a few years back, maybe seven, 10 years ago, something like that. And in the summer, him and my mom always travel around with this group of old people friends. They travel, they just ride their bikes, and they they like, "Can you watch my dog for 13 days?" And that's that's how I know. And then when they come back, I don't get pictures from him of like the Grand Canyon or Mount Rushmore. I get pictures from him of Guy Fieri ate here once and he loved it. That's what I get pictures of. Like all of this. He's definitely the foodie guy in this way um and these are like it's good these it's always obscure places too it's amazing how many places my dad has eaten now be like some no-name town in wyoming he'd be like oh they got great fries there you're like great fries in buffalo wyoming what are you talking about man um that's ridiculous you've never eaten there and sure enough he's got a picture on his phone has eaten there definitely several times um these, uh, it's, good. it's good to have those kind of people in your life because you can only rely on Yelp for so much, right? And then there's other people that are, are very different. You, you say, I'm going to this place, and like, oh, you gotta hike this, you gotta boat this, you gotta camp here, you gotta rent paddle boards and go out here. And these are like your REI friends, right? They are members and they've shopped there, they bought something at REI within the last six months. Um, or uh, people like my Aunt Sherry. My Aunt Sherry um, is a retired public school teacher, elementary school teacher in Tacoma, Washington and she is notorious not for food places but any if i ever said any town we're taking the kids to some place her response is always oh man they have a great museum there always kids museum or adult museum museums everywhere she just loves them and like museums do nothing for me right and so i'm always like yes but does that museum have a food court and has my dad ever been there those are the that's what i kind of you know enjoy in that way so what we're dealing with when we are experiencing this are value propositions from other people if you are going there and you have a limited amount of time here's what you should do we think this is worth your time this is worth stopping for this is worth driving out of the way for i know that google maps has you going this way but this is only 10 minutes off the road and we think it's worth the stop you can't go through this place without stopping and seeing whatever it is. This is worth my time. Is this worth eating at? Is this worth paying an entrance fee for? These are all value propositions from people. And when it comes to like you know random trips, kind of semi-regional or whatever, it's fine because we might go there next year. So even if we miss it this year, um, you know you could always be like, well, we'll probably take the kids there again at some point. And so that in that case, the bar is lower, right? But the stakes are always higher when the frequency of a return visit is unlikely. There is an inverse relationship between my opportunity to be able to come back here and what I want to see in my time. Because if you say, listen, I'm probably only going here once in my life. What do I need to see? That carries more weight. I've been to Scotland once. I'll probably never go back. I mean, I loved it. It was great. It's not like it, it, I didn't hate it. But I just don't know that Like, it's on, there's just so many places in the world to see. And, and the travel time and the, and the expenses and all that kind of stuff means that might be it for me, right? So uh, and I'm, I'm not being sad. It's not. It's whatever. It's just it, that's how it is. And so when when those things are inversely related, there's so much weight to this sort of question um, that it, it's it's probably like an added pressure in this way. So who I listen to in terms of this is good, or this is worth seeing, or this is worth your time is absolutely critical. My wife and I, um, when we got married, uh, we took our honeymoon. Uh, to, uh, it was uh, almost 16 years ago, like in June, it'll be 16 years, uh, we, we, uh, uh, we we took our honeymoon to Honolulu, Hawaii, Oahu, and the island of Oahu, and uh, I don't even want to tell you uh, how young we were, like Kylie was like almost illegal, that young how, is how old we were, and, and uh, we, not illegal, but close. We went to Hawaii, we didn't, we had like you know, very little money. We, were, we were, uh, had never been there before. This is our first time uh, for either of us to this island and, and doing these sorts of things. And so it's like the pressure. And it was like, I know this sounds crazy, but like pre-iPhone, right? So uh, yeah, that's weird. And so we're like, how do we experience this? in the fear, and I'm, I'm a maximizer. Like, I'm not sure how often I'm going to be able to go to Hawaii in my life. So I, I want to make sure if I'm going to Wahoo, what can I not miss in this way? Luckily for us, when we showed up, there was this like binder, that this guy, we had rented this condo from a friend of my dad's, and he had all kinds of visitors. This was a common thing for him, and so he'd put together this binder of, if you have a five-day trip, here's what a good itinerary for a five-day trip looks like. If you have seven days, here's what the itinerary, if you have 10 days, and then like a 20-day, and you're like, who stays in for 20 days, right? And so anyways, uh, it was great. It was like for me as a person, and, and inside it was always um, like, "Go eat at this restaurant. This is really good for breakfast." And by the way, here's some coupons, like ten percent off, that like they give to like local people. And here we've attached a few in here. It was so phenomenal. It was such a great resource, and it like scratched the itch for me of now I trust this guy. Uh, for the, this limited time frame that I have to be able to go and do this, it was a really amazing. I remember it. I remember it vividly as being something. Someday, if I ever have an opportunity to do that, I want to do something similar, in, in that vein. So, but imagine being a medieval spiritual mystic. And I, and I know that that sounds weird, but that's what we said last week. Was pilgrimages? A lot of times, the ones that I read about in preparation for this series are these ancient medieval mystics, spiritual mystics, who would travel from the external parts of Europe all the way to Jerusalem, and they would write about their journey across the Mediterranean Sea and through the Alps and through all of this and, and the journey to Jaffa and then Jaffa to Jerusalem and all these crazy stuff who would in all likelihood spend their entire life savings, liquidate almost everything that they owned, they liquidate their entire life savings, spend it all on this trip uh, to make a one-time pilgrimage to the Holy Land, knowing that this is probably the only time we're going to do it, and the only time anybody in our village is going to do it, and so there's pressure there to kind of bring back stories and highlights and whatever. It's hard to know in those moments who to trust. That's why we see from them a lot of times them writing about, you have to see this, you have to go do this, and imagine the weight involved in, in, in this sort of thing. So as I mentioned last week, this isn't a series on travel advice, although we're going to kind of frame it in this way because you're doing a lot of traveling this summer and it makes sense. But we're going to learn from them not only how it, what it takes to kind of vacation well, but more importantly, I want to take, if this works in this framework and if if this makes sense in this you know small moment, what does this mean for me if I apply this to kind of a bigger piece of life? What if What is the kind of the meta look at this sort of thing? If this is a better way to do vacations, Does it also translate into a better way to be able to do life? And so last week we said learning to pack lightly, uh, allowing the space to be able to take what only the space is is allowed by this space and and, and helps in terms of how we do life and not taking too much of ourselves into it. Um, And today I want to talk about listening warily to the value judgments of others. And I'll take another step further and say and even ourselves. I mention that because that's what I'm saying when I say everybody has value judgments of kind of where you should go and what you should eat. I think it would be very, very smart of you to kind of, uh, and us, to listen warily to their judgments, to kind of filter it through a couple of things before we just take it at face value. They're different people than you. They are, they're biased. They had limited information. They say this is the best restaurant, but who, you know, the odds of them actually going to every restaurant to determine that this is the best one, you're taking their opinions at face value, right? And and what they like may not necessarily be what you like. So listen warily to the judgments of others, which sounds like common sense. And yet, when we say, okay, now we're going to take what it takes to vacation well and and live well instead, there's a piece of that that internalizes for us of listen warily to the even judgments for ourselves. So what I want to do is, with that in mind, and that seems like very, very simple common sense, we're going to set that aside for a second. We're going to develop another idea that feels unrelated to these two things, and at the very end, I'm going to try and combine these two together, and kind of then we'll go off and do our day. So... Set it aside, talk about a developed, but I think related idea. And in order to do that, I want to talk about this idea of displacement. Displacement. If you're taking notes, this is the topic for today or whatever. This idea of displacement. It's a very uh, common theme in terms of it plays out in practical real life. It plays out in scripture, as kind of we're going to tie into in tie into in, in a moment. And from a theological standpoint or a spiritual standpoint, spiritual displacement was uh, comes at us through this theology of a guy named Karl Barth, who was a Swiss theologian. Uh, Really, really smart. He wrote uh, uh, a commentary or a book that's to be read alongside the book of Romans. So, as you're reading Romans, you can also read uh, Barth's interpretation of the epistle to the Romans uh, and his kind of takeaways and his, like, here's what this, I think this means, and here's some practical applications for it. It's a really, like, really hard to read, but really um, excellent look at trying to figure out what Paul is actually trying to say in the book of Romans. And in that, he talks about an idea of displacement that I want to do it. And displacement, just so we can get it under wraps looks a little bit like this. I used to think this, then a better idea came along, and now I think this, and now this idea is gone. Or this has been kind of who I listened to um, and growing up. Uh, you listen to your parents. Your parents tell you what to do, then you get married, and now he tells you or she tells you what to do, right? And so this is, or whatever, I'm just, that's a joke. But uh, we have this idea of, I used to think this, but now I think this. Um, we we look at, it and we watch, uh, you know, when it comes to sports, this is the a famous thing. If you watch, like, Sports on, like, the shows during the day when they have nothing to, like, it's not actual sports. They're just talking about sports. It's always who's the best to play the game, right? Is it MJ or is it LeBron? We used to think it's MJ, but, man, LeBron looks, has he done enough? Has he done enough to be the best ever? And you think, man, look at the physique, look at the scoring, look at the whatevers. uh, And then you go, yeah, but I watched the last dance. And I'm just like, I don't know how you displace this. And and right now, like, immediately I just shut off a bunch of people because you're not sports people. That's fine, right? You've done this in your own life in this way. You sit around a campfire this, this year, this summer, when you're camping with your family and your extended family and your sister's in town, your parents are there, and, and you go and you say, I think I found the one. I think I found the one. And your mom's so excited. She's so excited. But you think you found the one? Oh, you found the one. And your skeptic dad's going, yeah, but that's what you said about the last one, right? And you're like, well, yeah, but this one's different. This one I really... This is how this has changed, and this has been now displaced, and, and he's, he's this one's not the one anymore. And I let him know, I sent him a text message that said, you've been displaced. No, you didn't do that, but you should. That's a really good idea. You've been displaced by something that's a, a little bit different, a little bit better. Or uh, we say this, if it's not a dating thing, perhaps it's a more, you know, now you're married, and now you've got this, you're sharing this life together, and there's all kinds of conflict that arises when it comes to scheduling, and money, and kids, and blah blah, blah. and all the details that works when you combine lives together, and you're trying to I'm doing this, but I'm also, you know, I want to live with this person, but I also have, like, my own individual thing. And, and so we say, we say things like, you know what? I know it's crazy right now. I know life's stressful, and, and this is what we fight about, whatever. But um, I really do think life is going to settle down. When this takes place, you know, fill in the blank, when the bills get paid off, when the kids are out of school, when uh, work, you know, it's, it's just a busy season right now, but like it's going to be over with. And then what happens is that season gets over with and it's still busy. And so you've just dis- displaced it with something else and your wife calls it a moving target and and it's, it's, never, it's never there. It's, it's this displacement. Something has come in and, and moved it along this way. So that's what it looks like. We operate, we're familiar with it, even though we've never used that word to describe it. We live with this idea of displacement. And when uh, scripture shows up, when we look at like, uh, w- when we read Barton, his interpretation of Romans, he talks about this displacement that, that takes place, and he looks backwards at what he calls the original displacement. One thing was set up, and then something got, kind of got moved. And it shows up in the very earliest parts of our scripture. It's in the Old Testament, the very first book, the easiest book of the Bible to find, because you just go left to right. It's called Genesis. Genesis, that word, means origins. That's, the, that's literally the definition of the, so it's a book of origins. It's a book of a people group who um, wrote it at a later date. It wasn't written as a diary. It was, it was written much, much later, um, and it talks about uh, this idea of, and every culture really had this in ancient times. Who are we? Where do we come from, and what does it mean to be human? Who are we, where do we come from, and what does it mean to be human? And different cultures had different sort of versions of this, and this was this Jewish kind of version of this story and And so, in Genesis, we read them a lot of times, uh like in the very in the first two chapters, it's the creation story. The creation story happens twice by the way It's told in chapter one and it's told in, told in chapter two uh very and the first time it's very artistic and and we we don't see it as much in reading the English translation of it, but in the original Hebrew language and text, um, the whole thing is a poem in which every successive line that starts is the next successive letter in the alphabet, so it'd be like. You know, a, a, a sentence that starts with A, a sentence that starts with B, a sentence that starts with C. So you would immediately, if you read it in the original, you would see what's going on there. And then in chapter 2, it's done. So it's like this, the artistic nature of creation and where we came from. It's very, it's, it's, it's brilliant. Um, and then in chapter 3, we get this story, a famous story about a tree and a fruit, oftentimes associated with an apple, although we don't really know, a snake and the, the first man and first woman. And so I'm going to skip through the story a little bit just because I'm assuming, even if you're not religious, you know the Adam, you know, and even the Apple story. So, um, and if you don't, then, you know, you can definitely read it for yourself, Genesis chapter 3. But the first, the story starts off in this way. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So, she's going to go on to say he, you know, he, he deceived me and he, he accused me. He's really just asking questions. This is how like, this deception in her mind starts. Did he really say that? And what he's really asking is the question is, are you really going to trust his judgment about what is good and what is not good for you? He's challenging an assumption. He's challenging a value judgment. You're operating as if what he said is true for you. But have you thought about what might be true for you may be different than what he thinks is best for you? I know that he says it's wrong, but do you think it's wrong? Look at this. Immediately, we are put into the scenario of people figuring out for themselves what is right, what is wrong, what is good, and what is bad. This is their way of saying this has been a human problem From the very beginning, from the inception, creation has just gotten done with. Like We don't even know how long between him saying everything's very good and then this occurring. But early on, as early as it could be, there has been this internalization of the problem between what is good, what do I think is good, what is right, am I good, am I right, and what is wrong. Now, do you believe, did he really say this, or is this kind of your own thing? The original displacement is setting ourselves up as judges capable of determining good and evil on our own. We've always operated for them as if what God said is good and true and right for us. But what if it was this instead? That's the original displacement that is talked about in Bart's work. And listen, as an American... Living in a hyper individualized society, this might not even sound like a bad thing, right? We we pride ourselves on individual rights. This country was founded on the ability to own and operate with private property, and be like, this is my place. You can't come on here and do this. And we we kind of live with this this uh, uh, sort of righteous thing about like, listen, as long as I as long as what I do doesn't affect you, then I have the freedom to be able to do what I want to do. And so, listen, if you're not like if you're not religious and you uh, you're coming at this. Reading this as a moralistic tale, or a fable, or perhaps a myth, and that doesn't mean that it's not true or didn't happen, but it's just like we read it because it has a, a, a point to it, a story to it, and we read it in this way. Then the the question proposed by the serpent, even though it's dialogued as kind of you know ne- you know uh, devious or whatever, it sounds rational. Are you going to listen to what somebody else has to say about what is right for you, or are you going to determine what is right for you on your own? It sounds like almost american i mean to be honest with you right not bad in this way and and listen if you're not a christian and and you're you know still figuring this kind of stuff out and still dealing with spirituality i'm spiritual but i don't know what it is and you you found east lake and you felt like this has been a safe enough place to be able to be like i don't want to like sign off on everything just because i'm here doesn't mean i agree with you you know this is uh, and that's listen we aspire to be a place we really do where people who, you know, are not sure what they believe can come and hear at least the way uh, that, uh, that Jesus taught how to live, and then you can decide what you want to do with it. And, and there's, no, there's nothing you have to sign or, or any association in, in that way that kind of requires you to do that, or, you know, you got to go. Or there's like a countdown clock on the screen, and you've got like three months to figure it out, and then if not, you need to leave. There's nothing like that. We're totally fine with that. Glad that you're here. This is just what's going on. This is the, this is the idea. This is what Christianity kind of presents. This is the original displacement, whether you believe it or not. Genesis chapter 3, then verse. Uh, moving forward, skipping a few verses, as I mentioned earlier. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, meaning it was beneficial to be able to eat and provide sustenance and nutrients and whatever, it was good for food and pleasing to the eye, it looked good, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she saw some value in it beyond this. She began to see, yes, my opinion about myself does matter. She took some of it and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. That's a note for a little bit later. He's just right beside her watching her. He's going to act like, you know, she came and found me and like drug me into this. No, no, no. He was standing right beside her watching her do this and he ate it. Then the eyes, this is what it says. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. There's an awareness that comes here. There was a, an innocence that is lost. They begin to realize what is right and what is wrong, or begin to realize that they are imperfect, or begin to realize that something is not right in this way. Uh, They realize that they were naked. This is their uh, ability to kind of ask this, or this this idea of, you know, uh, something's not right. Something isn't in this moment the way that it's supposed to be. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that this wasn't right? Who told you that there was shame involved in this? Who told you that you're not supposed to be this way? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, right? This is my, this is like, I bring this up every time we do this story because it's like, it, immediately, it's like, what'd you do? Did you do this? No, the woman, the woman that you, listen, you gave her to me. She did it. You did it. This is really between you two. I'm just an innocent bystander here. I'm, I'm the victim here. You made this thing happen. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God turned, said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And she, what does she say? Like the serpent, the snake, Right. We always externalize the problem. We're always the innocent. There's, we're always the victim. It's somebody else. We externalize the problem. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Bart sees this as Paul's answer to the question that we all wrestle with every single day. What is wrong with the world today? What is wrong with the world today? When you read the paper, when you get the, you know, your news on Twitter, when you see this happened, oh, last night, can you believe? This went down, blah, blah, blah. And it, it, It's examples of, of violence, unjustified violence. Uh, it, it, there's, there's stuff of um, you know people... Um, injustice taking place based on racism, or scholars can, or, or or perhaps it's like this money thing that's involved of, you know, that so-and-so, did you know that they got rich, and, and then they, they hose their investors, and they hose this, and it's all, it's just, everybody's doing their own thing, and, they, and then what they think is right in the world, and then it gets exposed, and, and then there's a bunch of people who think it's not right, and then when you call them on the carpet, here's the problem with the world to, in, to, in today's society. He goes this, our self-made throne where we sit and judge others in order to shore up a restless need to provide, it proves our own righteousness. We're so obsessed with setting ourselves up to be able to prove our own righteousness, righteousness that and prove that we're okay and we're good, that makes us think this. For Where does our judgment always lead? To the place where we pronounce ourselves innocent. That is how we live. Listen, you hear about all these people who get called to the carpet for doing something, and the immediate thing is, no, 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 no. The woman that you gave. No, the snake. No, this, that, and the other thing. No, I was forced here. It was this. It was that. We defer. We 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 always claim innocence in this way, we, we, because we've set ourselves up at the value of judgment. What, what do we think is right? What do we think is good? What do we think is valuable? What do we think is? And we we externalize the problem instead of looking at ourselves. And what Bart does with Paul is he he recognizes. That Paul anticipates a return displacement, we the original story, the original creation story is that God was originally set up, and then we kind of came in and kind of took our own throne and declared our innocence and he anticipates this this idea of, of a new displacement, a place that goes back to this He, he talks about it in, very famously in Romans chapter eight this creation is groaning right this, uh, the creation is in bondage to decay, the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the One who subjected it. In hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Two words there: liberation and glory, uh, and fr- excuse me, and freedom. Liberation and freedom. He associates this reversal of uh, displacement that eventually we do not get to be our own judge. We, we, we wanted to become our own judge because we thought that would be liberating and that would be true freedom for us to be able to determine what is right and good for ourselves. And what he's saying is, no, 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 it's, it's actually not. We, we, then we find ourselves wrestling and struggling with our own sense of self-worth and asking ourselves constantly this question, am I doing enough? Am I good enough? Am I good enough? Am I good enough? And he says eventually this whole thing is going to be set right. And when it's set right, what happens is we actually, we, we begin to be under a judgment. Under, we, God is then once again our judge, and that's actually liberating, and that's actually freedom, and that's what it looks like. He writes this, as a, a heavy and indeed oppressive burden is lifted from us when Jesus Christ becomes our judge. Now see, this doesn't sound right. Most of us live so individualistically that to sign up for a religion or to sign on to some sort of moral code or a Jesus way of doing things feels like I'm going to have to tell myself no in order to operate fully in this way. And that sounds like a lack of freedom. And what he's saying is, no, 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 this is the most freeing thing possible. When Jesus, when God becomes our judge, when we determine what is right, not based on what we think is right, but when he says is right— he says, that's the most liberating and freeing thing possible. It is a heavy constraint always to have to be convincing ourselves that we are innocent. It's a constraining thing to always be telling ourselves that we're good, that we wrestle with this. like We are in the right and others are in one way or another in the wrong. A great anxiety is lifted, the greatest of all. I can turn to other more important and more happy and fruitful activities. I have space and freedom for them in view of what has happened in Jesus Christ. Because in our existential society, we struggle with this idea, of, am I good enough? Am I good? Am I, I think I'm good, and the world kind of tells me to, that, that I'm good, and my life coach says that I'm good, and, and Instagram reminds me and I'm trying my hardest, and I'm doing my best, and and I just got to keep pressing forward and making these things, you know, reality for myself, and create my own good, and create my own reality, speak it new existence, and it's going to happen for me. And and, and and listen, we this is not a modern-day struggle. This isn't a problem that we have because we have so much wealth and not a place to, you know, whatever. This has been According to the Genesis story, a problem since the origin of man. Since we operated and we proceeded in that original displacement, now we've created ourselves as our own judge and we are the most critical of ourselves because we don't even buy into our own story. And so listen, we kind of tying this back. Let's again, I've set aside the other idea and now I've brought in this new idea and here's where I try and combine these two things. Pilgrimages remind us about how much we are reliant on the value judgments of other people. That we listen to them and we, they tell us, you know, this place is worth seeing, this place is worth eating at, this is worth paying for or whatever. But they're also biased. They may not have all the information and they aren't the same people as us. Our makeup's different. For those reasons, amongst probably many more, we should probably listen warily to everybody else's indications about what we should do with our life. And while that seems obvious in light of traveling, as I said earlier, this isn't really a series about traveling, as much as it is a series about living well. And while it's common to hear, listen warily to the opinions of others, and for that not to be like a big sell job for you to be like, well, yeah, that makes sense, that's common or whatever, there's an inherent danger, according to the Christian tradition, about failing to listen warily to ourselves as well. When we wrestle with the question, what is right, what is good, what is worthy? Because we're being inundated from external sources of supposed wisdom that you have to listen to yourself about those types of things. And you are good enough, and you're, you're whatever. And you go, am I good enough, though? But, like, I know me. Like, I know I might do even good things externally, but in my mind, as I'm doing it, I hate that I'm doing it. <laughs> or I don't want to do these things, or I should want to do this more, and I'm doing this out of obligation, and, and I know myself behind closed doors, and I know what my mind goes to, or whatever. Listen, listen. Am I good enough? That has been a struggle since the inception of humanity. Since as far back as what we want to discover, what is true about ourselves, what does it mean to be human? Since that displacement has taken place, that has been a constant struggle for us. And the result is we insist on our innocence and we cast judgment on all things internal. And listen world problems, wars between warring countries, um, things about, you know, we're the best, and all of this externalization between us versus them, everything can be broken down into, we are innocent, it's all of them that's the problem, therefore let's go to war with them, therefore let's, let's, therefore, let's tax them, therefore let's levy all kinds of things against them in this way. Bart says that if we believe Paul in Romans 8, there is another option to be able to do this. It's to submit our internal judgment over to him, in the form of a voluntary displacement, which says, in essence, I care more about what you say is right for me than what I say is right for me. I, I care more about what you say about me than what I have to say about myself. That's not to say that self-worth isn't doesn't have a component to play and that you should, you, should, you know, do the whole John Calvin, I'm a worm and I'm, I'm the worst thing ever, but it's God, I'm going to listen to you more than I listen to myself. I listen warily to the judgments of others when it comes to travel. But when it comes to life, I need to listen a little bit warily to even what I tell myself about this and to trust that what you have to say about me is true. Because when we read this text and when we read this and we wrestle with this, what we realize is there's messages in here about how God, loved us so much he sent the world he sent his son into the world to die for us that we are created in his image over and over embedded in scripture is you are worthy you're enough you are this and that's not me saying to you don't worry guys you're enough i'm saying that what the text says god says you're enough that you should listen to what i have to say about what is right and wrong for you it is the best possible way to live in this way and according to Paul, in another spot, he's like, eventually every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Like, this displacement is coming, whether you like it or not. And that is, please do not interpret that as a threat. I'm just saying that that's what Paul says is our future. That eventually there's this parousia, which a lot of times has been interpreted as this return of Christ, and we think it's going to be trumpets and descendants. Uh, you know, it, it just means the presence, parousia, presence of God permeating this world and affecting everything about it. But eventually the world is set to rights and this will be true and this will be true for everybody we have the opportunity in the here and the now to do it voluntarily voluntary displacement to say god um, am i right am i good am i whatever i listen to you and you alone in that way i listen warily to myself in these moments because i just know my shortcomings in this way so practically speaking this summer You're going to have an opportunity. When somebody tells you, oh, you're going to such and such a place, oh, my gosh, that place is my favorite. You have to eat here, go here, do this, whatever. Smile. Hear them out. They may have some good advice, but listen warily, and then do the same thing within yourself as you begin to wrestle with your own bouts of self-righteousness. Smile. Hear them out. Write some things down. Act like, oh, I'm so... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then be like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, you know, I don't know, or or listen to to, to to a certain degree, but travel for yourself, do your own thing, and then understand, God, what would this look like on like a bigger level, like with with everything about with 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 who I am, with my with my identity, and who I see myself, and these these bouts of depression that I go through about not feeling like I'm worthy enough for this marriage or this family or this I don't know anything, and then. In those moments, may I voluntarily displace myself and be like, I care more about what you say than what I say about me. That is my prayer for you, my hope for you on our pilgrimage together that is life. And may we learn from the pilgrims who have gone before us and offered their advice and listened warily to their own friends and family and did their own thing and hear them and, and begin to kind of really digest that and determine what does it mean for me in the way that I do this thing called life. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> may you help that, uh, may, may you spark that this summer, this this year as we travel, may, may, as these conversations arise, may something in the words that people say to us go, yeah, okay, that's that's funny that I remember Brent talking about this, and, and in, in those moments where we're wrestling with with uh, with our own self and our own identity and our own pain and our own you know what about worthiness and worthiness and all of that, may we listen warily to ourselves we 're not always the most reliable person to be listening to instead, may we dive into your word uh, into uh, what we what we know about your love for us may we think about and reflect on uh, the the commitment your commitment to us in spite of when we 've been good and when we 've been bad and we, we, that you loved us even when we were enemies you you 've sent your son to die on a cross for us, as Paul writes about. May that, may that statement of love overcome any sort of self-doubt about worthiness. So give us the wisdom to know what that looks like in our life. I'm the courage to act on it in your name. Amen.